Um, I imagine this morning, if I asked you to think through people that you have known during your life, um, over the course of your life, that you'd probably um, all be able to think of examples of people who you've had really good relationships with. And you'd also probably, though, have uh, able to think of people who you've had relationships with where, if you're really honest about it, it's been a bit of a struggle and a challenge, and it's been difficult. Maybe they've hurt you in different ways, and you struggle to trust them, and you, know, you, you don't really enjoy being around them, if you're honest about it. You might put on a nice face and a smile, and, and go and say hello, and give them a hug, but, but actually, that relationship is something that you, you struggle with in one way or another. And if we try and nail down what the key things are that determine if a, a relationship is a good one, or, or if it becomes a difficult one and a challenge... One of the things which I think is absolutely key to a healthy relationship and one that will flourish is very simply communication. You know, if you want a relationship that's going to stand the test of time and go through difficulties that are thrown at it, you want a relationship which is going to develop beyond just shallow niceties of hello and how are you, then it takes a level of communication and sharing, doesn't it, between one another. We're going to watch a quick video. Um, It's just a silly video to get things started. It's uh, Sheldon and Amy from The Big Bang Theory. And why don't we see what their style of communication is like and see if you can relate to it. First, there was PlayStation, a.k.a. PS1. Then there's PS2, PS3, and now PS4. And that makes sense. You'd think after Xbox, there'd be Xbox 2. But no. Next came Xbox 360. Hmm? And now, after 360 comes Xbox One. Why one? Maybe that's how many seconds of thought they put into naming it. Can you get the butter, please? However, with the Xbox One, I can control my entire entertainment system using voice commands. Up until now, I've had to use Leonard. Then get the other one. Pass the butter. Hang on. I don't feel like you're taking this dilemma seriously. Fine, Sheldon. You have my undivided attention. Okay, now, the PS4 is more angular and sleek looking. No way! It's true, but the larger size of the Xbox One may keep it from overheating. You wouldn't want your gaming system to overheat? No, you absolutely would not. And furthermore, the Xbox One now comes with a Kinect included. Included? Yes! Not sold separately. Although the PS4 uses cool new GDDR5 RAM, while the Xbox One is still using the conventional DDR3 memory. Why would they still be using DDR3? Are they nuts? (laughs) See, that's what I thought. But then they go and throw in an ES RAM buffer. Oh, wait wait a second. Who's they? The Xbox. You're kidding! No, I am not. And this ES RAM buffer should totally bridge the 100 gigabit per second bandwidth gap between the two RAM types. This is a nightmare. How will you ever make a decision? You see, I don't know. What should I do? Please pass the butter! <laughs> ever had a conversation like that? where uh, the person's so engrossed in their own thinking, so engrossed in what it is that, that, that they care about, so engrossed in their own little world, their own thoughts, their own problems, their own things they're considering that they don't listen to a thing that you're saying, however simple it might be as just pass the butter, please. You know, I know for, for Rosie, um, being listened to is, is really important to her in her relationships. Um, if you want Rosie to know that you care about her, 
uh, and that you, 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 know, you want to be there for her, then the best thing, one of the best things you can possibly do is to just listen to it. Pretty simple. But not, not just pay attention to it, but actually listen. So listen to it and then ask questions about it. Find out more about it. And um, if you want to wind Rosie up and you want to upset her, the, the fastest way that you can do that is to, um, once she's halfway through a sentence, turn and start talking to somebody else. Or, uh, you know, when she's talking about something, start asking her questions about something else or whatever it might be to, to not pay attention to her or interrupt her when she's midway through a sentence. And, you know, I still get that wrong sometimes. There are times when I still get distracted and I still go off on one and I don't listen very well. But I've kind of learned the lesson over the years and I know how important it is. Unfortunately for our boys, they're not so quite quick at learning. They've not had the years of experience that go with it. And so they seem to be blind to the fact that if they don't want to get in trouble, then the best thing that they can do is simply listen. And the quickest way to get in trouble is to interrupt and to get distracted and not pay attention. Now, the thing is that in our relationships, we can often be blind to what it is that we do to upset other people. We can think everything is great when actually the other person is really struggling with us. You know, especially us blokes. You guys will hopefully relate to this. It's not just me. But, you know, us, us blokes, we don't need to talk as much, do we? We don't need to share all our feelings and get it all off our chest. We don't need to, you know, when we sit up in bed, process the entire day through before we can put our head on the pillow. And so we can be quite happy and think that relationship is absolutely great with all of that communication going on. When the reality is that our wives or our friends or the other people who are with us don't feel listened to. They don't feel they're given the opportunity to talk. And actually for them, the relationship is a real struggle. You know, there was um, once a couple. They'd been married for about 60 years. They loved each other deeply. They shared everything together. And they had no secrets apart from one. The one secret was their wife had a little shoebox. And when they'd got married... Her wife had taken this shoebox and put it on the top shelf in her wardrobe, and she said to her husband, I want you to promise me that you will never look inside this shoebox and that you will never even ask me about it. So the, the husband made the promise, and actually, amazingly, after 60 years, he was still keeping the promise, which is, is pretty impressive going, I think, with curiosity. One day, though, his wife grew uh, very ill, and she was taken into hospital, and he was told that it would be wise to put her affairs in, in order. And so while he was doing that, he found this shoebox in the wardrobe. You'd think he'd open it, but no, he was a good husband. He took it down, took it into hospital, and he asked his wife permission, can I now see what's inside the shoebox? And to his surprise, she said, yes, yes, you can. So he opened the box, and he couldn't believe what it is that he found inside it. All that was in the box was two crocheted dolls and about 95,000 pounds. His wife saw the look on his face, and, and she said, let, let me explain. When we were first married, my, my grandmother gave me some advice. She said, if you get into an argument, you need to reconcile with one another as soon as you possibly can. Good advice, isn't it? But the grandmother went on, and she went on, and she said, if you can't reconcile with one another, then don't get angry. Don't, don't start getting cross. Don't say a word. Just go into another room and quietly crochet a dot, and then put it in the box. And his wife said, for the last 60 years, that's what I've done. And the husband looked in the box, and he saw there were only two crocheted dolls. And a new love for his life, wife welled up inside him. Tears came to his eyes as he realized that over 60 years of marriage, they'd only had two unresolved conflicts. And then he looked down, and he saw 
the 95,000 pounds. He said, well, what about the 95,000 pounds? What's that all about? And his wife said, well, every time I crocheted a doll, I'd sell it to the local craft store. <laughs> and suddenly we get a very different picture of the marriage, don't we? We realize that what we have is a failure to communicate. A failure to listen to one another and to be able to be reconciled to one another. You know, instead of the impression of a perfect marriage that comes from a bloke who just thinks everything's fine, we don't need to talk, you actually discover a woman that is there behind all of that who has pent up, bottled emotions, struggled to express herself or to feel listened to. We have a couple who have failed to communicate. You know, communication in every single relationship, this process of speaking and listening is so important, isn't it? And just as it's important in our relationships with one another and we can relate to that, communication is at the absolute foundation of our relationship with God as well. Now, in the same way, one of the key elements that will determine if our relationship with God is good and healthy and flourishing and going deeper, or if our relationship with God is actually something that we struggle with and is a challenge, and we find it hard to spend time with him, it's all going to come down to how well we communicate. Now, for people who, who don't believe in God, or are unsure if he exists or, or, or not, they, they often have questions something like these ones. If God is really out there, why doesn't he show himself? You know, if he'd only show himself to exist, if he'd only communicate with people, if he'd only write across the sky in big, bold letters, I made this, believe in me, then... I'd believe in him, and so would everyone else in the world. Of course they would. Maybe they're the kind of questions that you can relate to. But even people who believe in God still sometimes struggle with communication in their relationship with him. Now, I've often heard people say things like, I just wish that God would show me if this was the right thing to do or not. Or, I'm sure that the way that I'm, I'm making my decisions and handling things in my life are fine. I'm sure that what I've been doing is okay, because if it was wrong... You know, if, if the way that I've been handling my relationships and treating people, if the way that I've been making my decisions and the priorities in my life were wrong, then God would say something, and he hasn't. So it must be fine. It must be okay. You know, what essentially relies at the root of all of those questions is one thing, isn't it? Communication. And the question is, is it God who isn't speaking, or is it us who aren't listening? You know, this morning we're going to continue our series. We've been going through a series of Summer in the Psalms, Encounters with God, and we're going to continue our series, and we're going to look together at Psalm 19. And what we discover in Psalm 19 is that while sometimes we cry out to God, say something, that God's response to us so often is simply, hear something, listen to me, listen to what I've already said. You know, God is communicating with us constantly, and the question is, are we listening or not? So why don't we turn to Psalm 19. It's going to pop up on the screen behind me too if you've not got a Bible. And we'll see what we can discover about how God has already spoken and he's continuing to speak to us today. This is what David writes then. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to their eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, if you are wanting to hear from God today and asking him to speak to you, then David's first response is, look up. The heavens declare the glory of God. They pour forth speech and reveal knowledge day after day and night after night. The voice goes out into all the earth and the word to the ends of the whole of the world. David is saying, look at God's creation. Through it, God is speaking to us continuously. And nowhere more clearly or impressively can that be seen and found than it is when we simply look up. When it's a clear night and you're away from towns and streetlights and you're out in the middle of the countryside and you look up, I don't think it's possible to not be struck with some kind of awe and wonder at the number of stars that you see in the sky and how they shine and everything that's up there, how vast the universe is. You know, words can't do justice to it, can they? And if we're honest, I think we struggle to grasp even a tiny part of it. Rather than trying to to put that into words myself, we're going to watch a little video together um, that gives us some perspective. Um, Pictures can say a thousand words, can't they? To gain perspective, with the aid of computer animation, Let's now travel with the Earth to the Sun at 100 times the speed of light. From this view, we begin to appreciate the magnitude of our home star. Over one million Earths would fit inside the Sun. Yet our Sun is an average-sized star. Many stars in our own galaxy dwarf it. Arcturus is the fourth brightest star in the night sky. Though 200 trillion miles away, this orange giant is visible to the naked eye. By moving our sun next to Arcturus, we can grasp its immensity. Arcturus is 100 times brighter, with a radius 20 times greater than the sun's. Yet even Arcturus appears small when compared with the supergiant Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse has a radius 600 times that of our sun. A reddish star, it shines a remarkable 60,000 times brighter than the sun. However, even Betelgeuse is not the largest star in our galaxy. 
several red supergiants in the Milky Way are even larger. Some with a radius 1,500 times that of our sun. Well, one of the things in creation that I think really exhibits God's power is the power released in stars. Uh, the sun, it releases more energy in, in one second than a billion major cities on the earth, if there were a billion, would produce in a year. And that's just released in one second. You can imagine that. And of course, there are stars that are even more powerful than the sun. And just imagine all that power. All those stars, billions of stars in our own galaxy, billions of stars in other galaxies. And yet the Bible describes the creation of all that energy, all that power with the single phrase, he made the stars also. When we consider that these ratios present only a sliver of our Creator's power, certainly we can agree with the psalmist when he exhorts, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Of course, the stars reveal more than raw power. Without the light of the sun, all life on earth would soon perish. The sun's life-giving energy provides a constant reminder of our Creator's steadfast love the God who shines his gift of light on all. The visible universe contains more than 100 billion galaxies. Each of these galaxies has a diameter millions of trillions of miles wide, and each contains hundreds of billions of stars. Though incomprehensible, it is now estimated that the universe holds over a billion trillion stars. Long before the introduction of the telescope, Scripture declared that man would be unable to determine the exact number because there are so many. Of course, the Creator knows the exact number, and Psalm 147 declares that He even calls each star by name. The power to create each of these stars, the wisdom to maintain their stellar courses, and the incredible beauty displayed throughout the universe combine to affirm the Creator's majesty and care. God has made the universe so vast. All man can do is just marvel at this universe, the vastness of it. And I say, God, you are so, you are so great. And I think of what David said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have made, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that you should visit him? What's well, estimated that there are over 100 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, it's estimated that there are over a hundred billion galaxies in the universe. The Bible tells us that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. So if you chew on that for a little bit, think about how big the universe is compared to the earth, which is just uh, the head of a pin by comparison. Just how big is God's universe? Traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, we could circle the earth seven times in one second. However, to travel across the known universe at the speed of light would take 28 billion years or more. Today, most astronomers acknowledge that the universe appears to be expanding. 
This also agrees with the Bible, which says God stretches out the heavens like a curtain. There are some examples in the Bible of scientific foresight. One example that comes to mind in particular is in Isaiah 40:22, which talks about God stretching out the heavens as a tent or as a curtain. And you might say, well, that you know that is written in a poetic way, so we got to be careful. And yet, there are at least ten other places in the Bible where it talks about this this stretching out of the heavens. And that's something that uh, was only discovered in the uh, 20th century when we found that indeed all the galaxies appear to be, or virtually all of them, appear to be moving away from each other as if the entire universe is being, lo and behold, stretched out and expanded just like the Bible says. And that's obviously not something that, that people could have observed in ancient times. That's something that had to have been revealed to them from above. Unimaginably large, containing spectacular galaxies, and stunning nebulae. Truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. Puts things in perspective a little bit, doesn't it? About just how big the universe is. And incredible the fact that a million Earths would fit inside our sun, but then the largest stars in our own galaxy alone are 1,500 times the size of our sun. And you, you start to put it into perspective a little bit and, and try and compare those things and your mind starts to boggle. Now it talks in the, in the video about there being billions of galaxies, but even when you just think about our galaxy on its own, if you could travel at the, the speed of light, it said there that the speed of light is traveling at 186,000 miles a second. So think about that for a second, 186,000 miles You've just traveled it. In that moment, you've just traveled it. It's incredibly fast. Amazing, really, isn't it? And then a light year, then, is traveling at 186,000 miles a second for a whole year. So do you know how long it would take for you to travel from one side of our galaxy to the other side of our galaxy traveling at the speed of light? 100,000 light years. So just to get from one edge of our galaxy to the other edge of our galaxy, you'd have to travel at 186,000 miles a second for 100,000 years. Imagine how fast you'd pass the Earth. You know, within the first fraction of a second, it would be gone. You'd never have a chance to even see it. And yet our galaxy is just one of billions of galaxies. And the Earth is this tiny planet buried in the midst of it. And so when God says, the heavens declare my glory, what he's saying is, if you were struck with awe and wonder at my creation and how big it is and how vast it is and how amazing it is, then you should see me. You should see the one who made it all, the one who spoke it into being. You know, it might be that you're sat there thinking, yeah, the universe is amazing, but that doesn't mean that anyone made it. It all just came about by accident. And if you're not thinking that, then I can guarantee that you know somebody who would. It's such a common uh, opinion that people have these days. You know, but a claim that means that you're saying that it's just an accident that the surface temperature of the sun is 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit and that we're 93 million miles away from the sun. And it might be that if our orbit was just that tiny bit closer or that tiny bit further away, then we're either going to freeze or we're going to burn. But it's, it's just an accident that we, we fall in that perfect slot where life can flourish. It means that it's, it's just an accident that the water ratio on the, on the planet is amazingly balanced at 71%, um, with 71% of the Earth's surface being ocean. 
But if the oceans were, were half the size that they were, then we would have a constant drought. And if the oceans were just um, one-eighth bigger, then the entirety of, of the planet would be flooded. And we'd have no chance of, of life as we know it. It's just an accident that the Earth rotates at 365 um, times every year. Why 365? Why not 30? Well, if we only rotated 30 times um, every year, then we would have these huge long periods um, of, of day and night with cold and freezing and hot and melting, and life wouldn't be able to be sustained as we know it. You know, it's an amazing accident, isn't it? You know, there's so many facts that we could look at. The thickness of the Earth's crust, the perfect mixture of gases in the air that make it possible for us to be able to breathe, the distance that we are from Jupiter that protects us from asteroids that are flying through space. You know, there's so many different tiny facts that you can put together, and every single one of them is required for life as we know it to be possible on this planet. Now, when it comes to the idea of creation just spontaneously and accidentally coming about, I love what Sir Frederick Hoyle said. This is he's a noted astronomer, and this is what he wrote. He said, the probability of spontaneous generation from a single bacterium is the same probability as a tornado sweeping through a junkyard and assembling a Boeing 747 from the contents in it. It's fantastic, isn't it? Now, the spontaneous accidental creation of a universe and a planet and animals and people of such intricate design and detail, requiring such a careful balance um, of, of the kind of environment to be possible, doesn't just happen. Now, when we look at a sports car or a work of art, our first impression when we look at a good sports car or a work of art is, wow, it's beautiful. But at the same time, we're also hit by a, a, a kind of a sense of appreciation for the designer or the creator or the artist, the person who put it together. We know that something that intricate, something that careful, something that beautiful and designed can't just happen by accident. You know, and that's why Paul writes um, in Romans later on in the Bible that God is continuously speaking to us through what it is that we see around us in this world, through creation through when we look up at the stars and he says there is enough there for every single person on this planet to know that God is real and that God exists and that God is the creator and every person is without excuse. You know, we might be wrestling with the existence of God and asking him to show us signs and to speak to us and God is simply saying, look up! I've written it in big bold letters across the sky for you. What more do you want? Believe in me. The next time you go outside, take time to look up. Not just a glance, but to stare at the sky, at the stars in the night, or the brightness of the sun in the day, and allow God to speak to you through his creation. For those of us who already believe in God, he's saying, look up. As we've been talking about today, when we struggle to trust him, look up. Look up in those times of life when things seem to be spiraling out of control, when you feel the weight of the pressure of life, when you're worrying about the problems that you face, look up. Look up and be reminded that our God is the creator of this vast universe, which is so much bigger, so much greater, so much beyond anything that we can even begin to get our heads around. And then we think about our tiny problems and suddenly they're in perspective. Suddenly we think we've got this amazing, great God. How can I not trust him who would put this environment in place just so that I could have life? Look up. When you get lost and your perspective becomes caught up with small things because you've constantly got your head in a screen on a tablet or a TV or a computer or you spend your life inside four walls with a ceiling, 
Your world begins to shrink in around you. And you're consumed with yourself. Go outside and look up. Get some perspective. Realize afresh how vast the universe is and how great our God is who made it. Allow the heavens to speak to you and give you a new perspective and a fresh way of seeing things. So in the first six verses, David is telling us that God's creation is good, that it is awe-inspiring, that it speaks of who God is and his glory. But if all we have to go on is creation, while it's enough for us to be without excuse to know that God exists and that he's real and that he's a creator, it doesn't tell us anything about what he's like and who he is. And so in verses 7 to 11, David begins to talk to us about how God speaks to us about his character and how we know him and how we can have a relationship with him and the kind of life that it is that, that God has created us for and the blessings that he has for us. And the way that, God, uh, that David says God is communicating all these things and speaking to us today is through, if we'd only listen to it, is through the Bible. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these verses today because next week we've got a guy called John Sainsbury coming down from Garstang. Um, great guy, he and his wife Sue um, are going to come down and be with us. They're staying at John and Becky's for the week and he's going to be sharing next week um, on Ezra 7 verse 10. And he's going to be talking about the word of God and the Bible. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on it now. But in these verses, David begins to talk to us about how God speaks to us about his character and how we can know him and have relationship with him. And, and I just thought it would be great to just read through the verses and ponder each of the statements. And maybe if you've, if you've got a Bible with you, um, just hold it and, and be reminded as we read through the verses of the treasure that it is that you hold, how amazing it is that what you have in your hands. So this is what David writes. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. These are fantastic verses that help to remind us just how precious the Bible is. It can be easy, can't it, sometimes? I know I, I can have face this sometimes, and I'm sure you do too, but sometimes we can get bogged down in feeling like we should read the Bible and like it's what we've got to do and it's a duty and we feel guilty when we don't do it and we beat ourselves up. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but I'm pretty sure most of us could say we've been there at some point or another. You know, but Psalm 19 shows us something great. It shows us that it's not about what we have to do. It's about what we get to do. We get to read God's word. We get the amazing privilege of a gift that enlightens our eyes and refreshes our soul and gives joy to our heart that's more of a treasure than gold, that is sweeter than honey, and that in keeping it there is great reward. If someone offered you that, you could do nothing but grab it with both hands and say, yes, please. 
You know, it's not about creating a rigid system where we have to try and read so much of the Bible every day, otherwise we're going to beat ourselves up and we, because we've, we've missed something and we feel guilty about it. It's about realizing how amazing it is that we get to read the Bible and that through it God is speaking to us and he will speak into the situations in our lives where it is that we're looking for guidance, where it is that we need him, where it is that we need a word of encouragement. It's what we realize when we read this psalm is it's a treasure that we hold. David then finishes the psalm in verses 12 to 14, and he writes, But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. One of the things that I think is interesting is that David goes from talking about um, how God speaks to us through the Bible and how the Bible makes wise the simple and it enlightens the eyes, essentially how the Bible reveals things to us. And then he goes on the very next thing to say, who can discern their own errors? The things that he's blind to. You know, David knows that there are hidden errors within his life. Ways in which he's making a mess of things that he's You know, while he's he's longing for for God, he's making a mess of things, and he's blind to some of those areas. He doesn't know what it is that he's doing. And so he's saying to God, come and shine a light on these areas in my life so that I can deal with them. He knows that there are times when he's weak and he gives in to temptation and he does things which are willfully wrong. And so he's asking God for strength to resist so that the words and the thoughts and the actions that he has will be ones that please God. You know, and I think this is the way in which the, the Bible can shine a light into our lives in these kind of areas is one of the things which makes it so precious. But actually, I think it's one of the reasons that some of us can avoid it as well. And we can avoid God speaking to us because actually we don't want God to shine a light. We're quite happy being ignorant. We're quite happy being blind to the wrong things that we do because then we can kind of feel like we get away with it. We don't have to deal with it. And until God shines a light, it can be easy even to fool ourselves into thinking that they're not there. We become blind to our errors and convince ourselves that there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. You know, but the reality is that each and every one of us have sin within our lives. Wrong things that we're doing willfully that we know about, but also wrong things that we're doing which maybe we're unaware of and we're blind to. And they still need to be dealt with. God still wants to work through and to to set us free from those. He's saying that that's not the best way of life that I have for you. There's a better way. And if you could just see this, then you would be able to step into all of this that I have for you. If you would just trust me and let go of this, then you'd be able to step into all of this that I have for you. You know, and I think so often it's the things that we're unaware of that are the most dangerous things. Because they're things that we've often grown comfortable with or made excuses for. It's not that we don't know what we're doing. You know, we all know the decisions we make and the things that we do in life. But it's just that we're blind to, to kind of the error of them, as David puts it. And it might be that simply no one's ever taught us, clearly from the Bible, that what we're doing is wrong. And as soon as somebody ta- teaches us and it comes into the light, we'll deal with it and hit it on the head and it's gone. 
It might be, though, that it's a pattern of behavior that we've just become so comfortable with and so much a part of us that we don't even think about it anymore. Now, I think one of the most difficult situations we can find ourselves in is there are times when our heart longs for something. And it longs for it even though it kind of falls short of God's best. And at first, we kind of hold ourselves away from it because we, we see that. But, but slowly over time, our heart kind of begins to speak to us. You know, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. You know, the heart can mislead us. And so slowly over time, our heart begins to speak to us and, and to convince us and persuade us that actually it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Why wouldn't God want you to be able to do that? Our heart begins to speak to us and it, and it, it persuades us that, that actually that it's, it's perfectly fine. And it chips away in our convictions. Until we come to that place where actually we're so convinced within ourselves that there's nothing wrong with it that we're blind to the error of our own ways. And if we're not careful, we then quickly start to avoid anything that might shine a light on it. Because it's what our heart longs for. We don't want to let go of it. We want to hold on to it. And so we we push things away which are going to shine a light on that and mean that we have to deal with it whether that be God's word or simply the advice and counsel of godly people. You know, we can all find ourselves in those situations and those kind of struggles sometimes, whether it's over big things or little things. Whether it's over the ways that we're treating people that we're oblivious to. But really, deep down, we know we're wrong. You know, as I'm talking today, it might be that you feel God is putting a finger on a situation in your life. And if he is, then I want to encourage you to be like David today. It takes courage. But we've been talking today about trusting God and pushing aside all the things that, that, that make it struggle for us to trust God. So it takes courage, but we can trust our great God who created the universe, who cares for us to create a, an environment that we can live in and flourish in, who wants a relationship with us, who is speaking to us through his word. We can trust him. And so I want to encourage you to be like David this morning. And to, to long for God to reveal within your heart these different areas. To make that prayer with David. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, God. That's all that matters. To know that as you do that, God is not a killjoy. Wanting to stop you doing the th- things or having things that you want. But to know that actually God's ways are the best ways for you. That his desire for you is for life in all its fullness. Now, we're, I'm going to bring things to a finish. It, you know, if you don't know Jesus this morning, then, and you might have had this idea that God kind of hides himself away and that he, he kind of plays hard to get. Why would he if he made everything and he wants us to know him? It seems a little bit strange. But I want to encourage you this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God. When you go outside, look up. See the the sun shining down. Look up, see the stars in the sky. Look around at the intricacy and the detail of creation. And know that it declares the glory of God day after day, night after night. It announces that he is real and he is our creator. And if you've been struggling with worry or fear and trusting God in any different area, I want to encourage you. Make time out tonight to step outside and look up at the stars and just look up 
and ask God to speak to you and to show you something of who he is, to give you a new perspective so that you don't have to fear anymore. But you would know your great God who created the heavens is with you. Now God's also speaking to us through the Bible, telling us who he is, how we can have a relationship with him, what his purpose is for us in life. And, you know, I want to encourage you to make time for the Bible, to allow him to speak to you through it. If there have been reasons that you've been avoiding it, maybe subconsciously without even realizing it, you know, as we've been talking today, you realize you've not picked up your Bible for a long time. And you've wondered why that is, but actually you've realized that it's because you've been scared of what you're going to find. And you've not actually wanted to allow God to to speak in and highlight areas in your life. And I want to encourage you to have the boldness and the courage of David this morning. To know that God loves you and he wants the best for you. And anything that he reveals is simply so that you can, can have a better relationship with him, a better future on this earth and a better future for eternity.